was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and trusted to a mediator. Oh my goodness. Come on now, stay awake. Focus. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then the righteousness would certainly have come by the law, but scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, check off my hour-long Bible reading for the day. You know, at this rate, you'll probably get through the whole Bible in nine months instead of twelve. Hmm, it really is a shame that more people don't devote themselves to this kind of time reading the Word every day. Glad I do. How many times? How many times is it going to take for you to get a grip on this? I mean, really? How could you lose control of your temper again? What is that? The sixth time this week? Disgusting. I don't want to yell, but I just, I just can't help it. Oh, working here makes me so angry. I mean, I cannot, I cannot believe she took credit for that design when she knows good and well that it was not even remotely her idea. It's not fair. Okay, okay, calm down. You are a new creation in Christ. Doesn't that mean you shouldn't be doing this anymore? So why? Why do you always get so angry? Why does it never change? I try so hard to control my tongue. It just never works. Okay, Lord. I confess my sin to you and I promise that I will try harder next time. Because that's what you want me to do, right? Try harder. Okay, serving at the breadline, serving God by serving others, doing my duty and feeling a little uncomfortable. But hey, you've just got to get through two hours and then you'll be done. Wow, I'm really uncomfortable. God, are you watching this? I mean, do you see the effort I'm putting into this? Because it is an effort. I know I should be here. It's, it's what you expect of me, but I am so out of my comfort zone. Aren't I supposed to feel good about serving? I mean, shouldn't I want to be here? Because I don't. God, why am I actually doing this? No, stop thinking that way. This is what a Christian does. Just get through it. Here she goes again. Sarah, please just go on and on about all you know about this Greek word. Make us all feel inferior because you have studied this passage so much more than we have. Oh, I'm so frustrated and I don't know why. I know I should be here to have fellowship with other Christians, but I just don't measure up. I don't know as much about the Bible as Sarah does. I haven't had a life-changing conversion experience like Chris has. I don't even know where to begin to answer half of the questions they ask. And I have no idea how Kelly has time to make homemade cookies every single week. But I sure don't have time to do that and work. 
and take care of my family and spend an hour in the Word every day and volunteer at the Breadline every week and go to church every Sunday. I just can't do all of it. So what does that mean? Does that mean that they are more acceptable to you than I am? God, if that's true, just tell me what else I should be doing. I'll do it. It just, it just seems like I will never be good enough to earn your acceptance. I try so hard, but every day I, I fail you. I think if we're honest, those are probably all scenes that uh, we can relate to. We're, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm striving to be the best Christ follower that I can be. I mean, I do the things I know God wants me to do, and yet at the end of the day, sometimes this relationship with Christ seems more like a tug of war, where I end up feeling like the person in the drama there, frustrated, or guilty, or not experiencing the kind of freedom that it sure seems like the Bible talks about I should be experiencing in Christ. This morning we continue our series in the New Testament book of Galatians in a series we are calling Free. As we have been learning together, Paul wrote this letter to a group of churches who at one time had been free in the Gospels and now they were finding themselves once again, much like the person in the drama there, burdened in bondage and the reason we discovered the last couple weeks is because some false teachers had come and infiltrated the churches there and they began to teach that the gospel that Paul had taught that it's Jesus plus nothing was not in fact the gospel it is actually Jesus plus works of the law that's how we gain God's acceptance and when I use the word law I'm talking about Old Testament Ten Commandments everything that comes with that including circumcision if you were not here last week, you came, uh, you kind of missed out on really the pinnacle of this whole letter, Galatians chapter 2, and didn't Pastor Jeff just do an awesome job bringing that text to life? Paul makes his thesis statement of the whole letter. He says basically that we are, do you remember the word, justified, not by works of the law, but by faith. We are declared right, we're made right with God by faith alone. In fact, let's read Galatians 2.16 out loud again on our notes. If you have your notes there, it says what? A person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it, right there. We can't be justified, made right, declared righteous by works of the law. And if that's true, Paul is arguing these Galatians, going back to that, are just putting themselves in bondage. And Christ ended up dying for nothing. <coughs> this week we begin chapter 3 of Galatians, and really i got to just say in chapters 3 and 4, Paul is essentially just building on that thesis statement that a person is saved by grace through faith. And I'm going to give you a little bit of warning right now. We are heading into some of the most complicated and deeply theological waters in all of the New Testament. I mean, this is like been called by some mini Romans. Or this is not 101 stuff, in other words. This is like 401 stuff. And so we're really going to have to focus our minds and our attention on this, but I think if we can do that, we're going to walk away from this section of Scripture with a much deeper understanding of the power of the Gospel and hopefully what it means to then walk in the freedom of that very Gospel. So are you going to be alright for the next three weeks if we uh, get a little bit down and dirty here in Scripture? Are you okay with that? Awesome. 
Awesome. And if you just find yourself falling asleep, just slap yourself a little bit. I'll know what's going on. Now, if it's okay, before we actually open up Galatians 3, I want to do a little teaching this morning. You open for some theology this early? I mean, deep theology right now, okay? So we've been saying this phrase. This is the key of Galatians. Salvation is by grace through faith. Salvation is by grace through faith. I mean, that's what the message of Galatians is. Now, the question is, what does salvation actually mean? I mean, that's a word we throw around in church, but do we even know what it means when we say it? And what I think a lot of people think salvation means is really what last week was all about. It's that word, justification. You want to take notes on the back of your notes here? You're welcome to do that. I'm sure you'll want to frame this afterwards. (laughs) But I think when we think of salvation, the word that comes to our mind, uh, if you're reading the Bible, is justification. That moment, that, all that means is the moment that I trusted Christ and he re- forgave me of my sins. And so uh, I write another word there, forgiveness. And here is the key. I think when we think of salvation, most of us think of it as a past event, Right? This is that something that happened to me for me in my life when I was seven years old. I trusted Christ. I was justified. It was a past event. I was saved. Now, the Bible has a much deeper, bigger understanding of this incredible word, salvation. And I I really think we need to understand this foundation for the next weeks. Salvation also includes something. Here's another big fancy word called sanctification. Our salvation includes our sanctification, which is simply the process the New Testament talks about of being transformed into whose image? I mean, who who are we being transformed to? When Christ comes into us at this moment of justification, who are we becoming like? Him. In fact, that's the word I'd love to use there, transformation. And we all would agree this is an ongoing, present reality. This is... I mean, any of us in this room, this is probably where we are if we've had that moment of justification. We are in the process of our sanctification, of being transformed. And then, of course, the Bible also talks about one day there will be a glorification, which the word I would use there is just eternity, right? There's going to be a time where we are going to be perfect and spend eternity with God, so that is a future reality. If you can't see the board, I think we've got a slide up here, hopefully, that you can uh, take notes if you want. But bottom line, here's what I just want us to understand as we head into these waters of Galatians 3 and 4. When we say salvation is by grace alone through faith, we are not just talking about the moment when we trusted Christ. That is a part of it, but it is so much more. Our salvation also includes our sanctification, the transforming work that God is doing us in the present and Praise be his name. It also is going to include one day our glorification, our eternity with him, a a future reality as well. So if you're falling on your notes there, salvation, for now on, I just want you to remember, is justification, sanctification, and glorification. And the reason it's so important we lay that foundation is because we are studying a letter to the Galatians, and it's so easy for us to think that these Galatians were not Christians, but they were. They had been, at a moment in time, justified, forgiven by faith in Christ, but what has happened to them is that they are now adding things to their faith in order to make themselves more acceptable to God. 
I'd argue that's exactly what was happening with that person in the drama right there. And it happens in so many of our lives. And it is the central reason so many Christians, so many Christians still find themselves in this bondage, in this burden, instead of experiencing the freedom Christ intended us to have. Let me ask you, ever had a thought like this? I know that God saved me by grace through faith, but now, I kind of have to prove that I was worth saving in the first place. Friends, that is my early Christian life story right there. I knew at the age of seven, I knew I was forgiven, that I had been justified by faith alone, and yet, from that moment on, I thought it was kind of my job to make my salvation worthwhile in God's eyes. It reminds me of these commercials. You've seen these Holiday Inn Express commercials. You know, some guy goes into the emergency room. He starts performing surgery, and the nurse looks at him and goes, are you a doctor? And their answer is, no, but I what? I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. I I think that's what God thinks of us sometimes. Thanks for the justification and forgiveness. I got this from here. I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I got the sanctification thing. I'm good. I'll prove to you. I'll prove to you that I was worth saving in the first place. But here's Paul's whole argument. If you're on your notes, salvation, which means what? Our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. Listen, it's all done. It's all done by grace through faith. All of it. Let me say that again. Because this, in my opinion, is why so many Christians still live in bondage today. They live like that girl in the drama. We are not just justified by the gospel. We grow by the gospel as well. We will never, ever leave the gospel behind in our life of faith. That's salvation. That's God's goodness and his grace To us, the teaching of Scripture, the teaching of the Bible is not that we should have faith in ourselves in order to fix ourselves and make ourselves more pleasing to God. You know you can never be more pleasing to God than you are right now if you are in Christ. Period. That's why we call it good news. And Paul is going to say that attitude is what we would call works of the law. And that's what he is opposed to in Galatians 3. He is arguing works of the law, when we think we can do the sanctification thing on our own, is going to add nothing to our faith. And the reason reason we can have freedom in Christ is not because of our goodness, it's because of his goodness, not because of what we do for him, but it's for what he has done for us. That's the difference between a life of faith and a life of works. And I'm going to tell you right now, understanding that is going to be the difference for you living in freedom or bondage. So let's take our Bibles, turn them to Galatians chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, if you don't have a Bible, we say this every week, we provide some in the seat in front of you, black, the black Bible's there, you can find this on page 811. We have a lot to cover this week, uh, but let me kind of break down this section into three large chunks. Basically, Paul is going to be arguing what we learned last week, that salvation, justification, all that is included is by grace alone through faith, and he's going to argue three things. From personal experience, we can know this, from the scriptures, we can know this, And from the covenant God made with Abraham, we can know this. So, let's start with the personal experience argument. Again, we're going to be heading into some deep waters here. So, Paul asks them six questions in five verses, starting in verse 1. It says, You foolish Galatians. In case you missed it, that's not a compliment. (laughs) Foolish in Greek uh, still means foolish today, actually. 
Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Who's tricked you? Who pulled the wool over your eyes? When I came there, you understood Christ crucified. You received him by grace through faith. And now you're thinking you need to add something on that? Who's tricking you into this nonsense, friends? Is it possible for us to start off under good teaching, love Jesus, trust him, but then over time start to build up our little castles and thinking, well, I got to do this or I got to do that in order to make myself more pleasing and acceptable to God? Is that ever possible? It happens all the time. And Paul and Jesus both call that legalism. And they say it is the quickest path to bondage. Would you read verse 2 out loud with me on your notes? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is just brilliant. What a great question. He's taking them back to the moment of their justification and basically asking the question, now remind me, did you receive the Holy Spirit that day because you made yourself ready for Him? That you cleaned yourself up with all your good works and God said, okay, now I can enter into his life. Or did God enter your life through his spirit while you were still a sinner? Remind me again of that order. Friends, does obedience bring God's blessing or does God's blessing bring obedience? The answer to that question is huge. How you answer that question is huge. What did Jesus say about it? If you obey me, then I'll love you. If you love me, then what? You will obey my commands. You will obey my commands. If you're following there, trusting Christ leads to obedience, not vice versa. You can't prove yourself to God anymore. <laughs> now, now listen, I had a guy... Talk to me about some of this. This is a struggle I had. Does that mean then I don't go serve at St. John's Breadline? I mean, what does all that mean? And the issue comes down to motivation. It comes down to my motivation, and we're going to get way more into that the further we get into Galatians, especially in chapter 5. But for now, we have to understand the right order there, right? Trust leads to obedience. The Galatians get it backwards, and so do we. We think that we can somehow prepare ourselves by the things we do in order to make ourselves ready for God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Time out. When did you receive the Holy Spirit? It was the moment you were justified by faith. Christ came into you. It's the mystery of the gospel. So don't tell me that by adding works of the law, you are gaining any more of God's love. Verses 3 through 5. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And right there, there's the sanctification piece, right? You've, you began with the Holy Spirit, and now you're trying to tell me you can take it over from here? You stayed at a Holiday Inn Express? Come on! Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, or by your believing what you heard? Paul's real gentle here. Not really. He's not holding back at all. Why? Because of what's at stake. What's at stake is the heart of the Christian faith, and it's the difference for the Galatians between bondage and freedom. Remember the whiteboard? Paul is essentially saying that right there, the Spirit entered your life at the moment you were justified, and 
How is your life going to continue to be empowered? By your works or by that very same Spirit? How are you going to be transformed? How are you going to be sanctified? By what we do? No. It's by the same way God justified you. He's going to sanctify you through the work of His Holy Spirit. The picture I have here is oftentimes, have you ever been on a plane and there's like a little kid flying there and the plane's up in the air and the kid's going like this? And deep down, I think they really think they're helping the plane fly. You know, and mom's like, you don't have to do that. No, if I stop doing that, we're not going to fly. I think there's a lot of Christians flapping their arms around today. God, I know you saved me and you got me off of the ground. I got it from here. I got it from here. And Paul's whole argument is, no, no, no. He's still flying the plane. He's still flying the plane. You don't take over the cockpit there. You simply trust that he's getting you to where he promised to get you when he saved you. That's salvation by grace through faith. Faith that we are forgiven. Faith that we will be transformed. And faith that we will have eternity with him forever and ever. Paul asks six questions there. And I think if they were all to have responded honestly, what was the conclusion they would come to? Did they receive the Spirit? Did they receive the Spirit because of works of the law? Or... Did they receive the Spirit by faith? There'd be no way for them to argue anymore with Paul here. They've been duped. And so many of us are too. We are saved and receive the Spirit through faith. And that same Spirit, we're going to get way more into the Holy Spirit starting in Galatians 5. I promise you, it's the key to living in freedom. He's the key, right? But the same Spirit that saved us is the same Spirit that is going to transform us. If you're falling on your notes... Faith isn't a one-time deal. It's a lifetime of trusting God. Amen to that, huh? Faith is not a one-time deal. It didn't just happen the moment I trusted Christ. It's a lifetime of trusting God, trusting that he's flying the plane, and he's going to get me exactly where he promised to get me. All right, Paul now moves on to a second argument, straight from Scripture. In the first section, Paul asks six questions. In this section, he's going to quote the Old Testament six times to prove to these Galatians that even from the very beginning, God's plan all along that was a person would be saved by faith through grace alone. You're going to just see right now how genius Paul is. He is, a, he is really inspired by the Holy Spirit stuff right now. What he's going to do here is basically if these teachers want to take us back into the law, he'll say, I can play that game. You're telling them they need to become Jews in order to really be followers of Christ? Well, let's go back to the very first Jew, the father of the entire Jewish nation, and I will prove to you that salvation has always meant to be by faith through grace. Look at verse 6. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's just brilliant. What a master stroke. Remember, who is Paul writing against? These Judaizing teachers, right, who said, it's great that you have faith in Christ. It's great that you were justified. Now, to remain acceptable to God, you need to add what? Works of the law. You need to add works of the law to remain acceptable to God. So what Paul says here, okay, you want to talk about being Jewish? Let's go back to the father of all the Jews. But I'm going to call Abraham as a witness for my case. And he goes back to Genesis 15, 6, before circumcision, before the law was ever given, and we quotes these words, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That is the very same word, if you were here last week, as justified. 
Abraham believed God and he was justified. He was declared right. He was made righteous before God. If you're falling on your notes, Abraham was justified. Why? Because he was circumcised? Because he obeyed the law? Because he added all these things to his faith to make himself more acceptable? No. Because he believed God. Period. He was justified because he believed God. These false teachers are saying, be like Abraham. And Paul says, perfect. Perfect. Be like Abraham. I like that a lot. You see, because here's the problem. Abraham wasn't even a Jew yet. He wasn't circumcised yet. And the law wasn't coming for 400 more years. So, yeah, I agree. Be like Abraham. Justification is by faith. Just like it was for him. Trust the promises of God. We read in Hebrews eleven seventeen, By faith, Abraham... Not by law, not by morality, not by circumcision, by faith. Now watch what Paul does in verses 7 and nine through 9. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Who are Gentiles? Anyone who is not. And announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Hold your place right there in Galatians 3 and turn back to Genesis 12 with me. You've got to see this for yourself here, what Paul is doing. Genesis 12, Genesis, first book in the Old Testament. This is the first time Abraham comes on the scene. His name is Abram at this point, and God is going to call him. He's going to call him to follow him. And he makes these ridiculous promises to Abraham. I just want you to see them. This is where Paul is quoting from. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And here's the part Paul quotes. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is God's incredible promise to Abram. Now here's the question. What did Abraham do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. God called him. He made these incredible promises and all Abraham had to do was trust God. Trust the promises and he did. And the promise was this amazing blessing we read about. What's the blessing? See how this comes full circle from last week. What is the blessing he just promised Abraham? Justification. Justification by faith through grace. By grace through faith. Justification is the promise he made Abraham. We see it in Genesis 15, 6. That's why he quotes it first. Justification is the same promise he gives us today. Be like Abraham. Be like Abraham, the false teachers say. Paul says, yes, exactly. Be just like Abraham. Believe the promise of God and be justified by grace through faith. If you're following on your notes there, here's what's amazing about what Paul is saying. Don't miss this. Believing the gospel makes us children of Abraham. Believing the gospel makes us children of Abraham. In other words, when we are justified by faith, we become one of Abraham's children. True Jews. Some of you grew up in the church and you were forced to sing that song. You remember? Father Abraham had many sons and many sons. I, I am one of them. And then it got all weird. 
Like right hand, left foot, whatever. I don't know what that has to do. Some of you are glad you did not grow up in church right now, aren't you? I guess Brian told me they, they sang that downstairs last week, which is awesome. Because there's an incredible theological significance and truth to that song when you really step back. It's by faith that we become the true children of Abraham. The gospel is preached in Genesis 12, verse 3. It's the same gospel that Paul is preaching thousands of years later. God's plan was always, always that we would be saved by grace through faith. And Abraham is the perfect example. He's going to go on now to kind of deconstruct. Listen, if that's true, this whole idea that we're saved by works of the law can't be true. Verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Direct quote from Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. He shows the flaw in this te these teachers' argument. What these people are teaching is the law is good, and if you want to be acceptable to God, all you need to do is do what the law says. That sounds good, doesn't it? That's religion. We've talked a lot about that here, right? It's the essence of all religion right there. Make rules, keep them, God is happy. Make rules, keep the rules, and God is happy. But what's the problem with that equation? What's the problem with religion? If you're following on your notes there, the problem with rule keeping is we can't keep them all. We can't keep them all. And that's what's required of us. Jesus took it so far as to say, listen, you want to be a disciple of mine? Be perfect. Just as my heavenly Father is perfect. Whew. And he goes on to say things like, if you covet in your heart but you don't steal anything, if you commit lust in your heart but don't touch anyone, you're still breaking the law. Now here's an important question we have to pause here. Is there anything wrong with the law? Not a trick question. Is there anything wrong with the law that God gave? Not one thing wrong with it. Perfect, in fact. Don't kill anyone. That's pretty good. Don't steal. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Honor your mother and father. That is good. Those are good things to live by. They're perfect, in fact. His law is perfect. But do we keep them? No. So if the law is good, but we can't keep the law, where's the problem? We read this verse as we were singing this morning, Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm not even close to perfection. I don't know about you. I fall short of what is required of me. Now, here's what we do. I find somebody who I can say, oh, I'm, I'm better than them. But when we look at God and realize, be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect, I go, ooh, that's not as easy. In fact, it's impossible. So where does that leave us? We need help. We need help. Or as Paul says in verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. The problem with that is nobody can live by them. Nobody can live by them. I usually fail by 8 a.m. I don't know about you. 
The law simply cannot offer us what? Salvation. It just can't do it. You know what? It actually puts us under a curse, Paul says there. Do you know what he's talking about? Have you ever been under the curse of the law? I I lived that. I, I lived with this constant anxiety. This insecurity that I could never measure up to God's standards. Why? Because I could never measure up to God's standards. And even worse than that, even worse than that, the curse of the law, for me at least, was I never really knew where I stood with God. It was this constant, well, today was a good day, so, whoo, but yesterday wasn't so good. Oh, that is a curse. That's the curse of the law. Watch what God does, though. We need a solution, don't we? I need some help, some serious help. But the question we need to ask is, does the help come from me or does it come from outside of me? Watch what God does. Let's read verses 13 through 14 out loud on our notes. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. That is what separates Christianity from every other religion, philosophy, tradition, and ism in the world. Everyone else says we need enlightenment, we need morality, we need education, we need this, we need this. Christianity at its heart says we need God, we need God, we need God. And God has come. God has come. I mean, we get the gospel in two verses right there, don't we? Those verses tell the whole story of Jesus' eternal perfect God humbles himself takes on sinful humanity he bears the curse that Deuteronomy is talking about of course Paul's talking about when he says the tree he's talking about the cross he takes our sin our curse the curse of the law the perfection that we could never attain upon himself and he redeems us he sets us free from the bondage of sin and death and the curse of the law. Theologically, you ready for one more? This is called substitution. This is called substitution. And there is a movement, I need to warn you about this, there's a movement today that is teaching that Jesus did not in fact substitute on our behalf. He didn't become our sin. What they're teaching today is that he was a good example for us of how to face suffering with humility. Now did... He showed us a good example, absolutely, but what happened on the cross was much, much more than simply an example for us on how to live. What happened on the cross is Jesus took my sin and your sin, my curse and your curse. He took death, all the perfection that was demanded from him. The wrath of God was poured out of him on the cross. He took that and it was nailed to a tree so that we might be set free. Paul writes these incredible words in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let's read these out loud. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just leave that up for a second. I want you to notice substitution involves two things. There's a negative and a positive, right? The negative is he took my sin upon himself. 
But what's the positive? This is the, I mean, the negative is right here. What's the positive? He gave us his righteousness in place of our sin. So again, when God looks at you and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what does he see? He's Jesus. He sees his son. He's replaced your sinful nature with the nature of the perfect man, Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate in flesh. Gospel is good news. Amen? Amen. And you will stay perfect in God's eyes through your whole salvation process. Does it mean we won't mess up? Of course not. But our standing with God has been secured now and forever. Now and forever. These two verses beautifully summarize everything Paul has been saying in this section. The law, it just puts us under a curse. It reminds us we need some help. And he did help, didn't he? He sent Christ, who redeemed us from the curse of the law. Paul now wraps up his argument that we're saved by faith, not works of the law, by kind of showing the superiority, finally, of the covenant God made with Abraham compared to the covenant of the law. Look at verses 15 through 18. And this, again... Just try to, try to stick with this right now. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. In other words, let's say that I were to sign a will and uh, then I were, were to pass away. It would be impossible, it would be illegal for them to then change the will, right? And in the same way, Paul is saying, because this covenant was made with Abraham, it's impossible to change it. The promise was given to Abraham. You cannot change it. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Once again, he just takes them back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 15, when God makes a covenant with this man named Abraham, not because of anything he deserved, but simply because God promised him that he would bless him. Through many people, he preached the gospel to him that day. And you should probably read, uh, I think Jess going to talk a little bit more about the covenant, but a couple things to remember about that covenant with Abraham is that Abraham did not make a covenant with God. It was a totally one-sided covenant. In fact, when the covenant was ratified, what was Abraham doing? Some of you know? Sound asleep. Sound asleep, but it was God's promise. And what Paul is arguing is there's no way now that the law that came 430 years later can add to that promise or take away from that promise. The promise, if you're following on your notes there, God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with Abraham trumps the law. I put the word trumps in quote. I don't know what other word to use. Supersedes. It came before the law came before circumcision. I mean, it's, it's the promise and it trumps the law. God always intended to save his people by, self, by faith. Indeed, if the law really was meant to save us, as these false teachers were teaching, as we can tend to believe sometimes in our own lives, then there's no need for Jesus at all. The promised seed of the covenant with Abraham. You tracking? Is this making sense? All right, now, I want you to place yourself in these false teacher's shoes. What 
are you screaming out loud right now as you're reading this? What about the law then? I mean, is this guy kidding us? You're telling me that the law meant nothing then? And Paul goes on to address that now in these last four verses. Look at verse 19 through 22. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Again, he's saying in the covenant with Abraham, it was between God and Abraham. In the covenant of the law, there were others involved here. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Friends, what does he say? Is the law bad? Absolutely not, he says. Absolutely not. God forbid, some of your translations say. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Simply put, can I just summarize that? The law wasn't given for salvation, but to reveal sin. What was the purpose of the law? These guys are screaming. The law wasn't given for salvation, as you're claiming, but to reveal sin. The main purpose of the law was not to be the solution to our problem. It was to show us our problem in the first place. And boy, does it do a good job at it, doesn't it? It does a great job at it in my life. It reveals to me my sin, how far, far I fall short. It was never intended, as Paul says, to impart life. Otherwise, there'd be no need for Jesus. We could have gained righteousness through it. No, the purpose of the law was to show us our very need for redemption. Or again, if you're following, the law shows us we're not righteous, but it can't help us be righteous. Ironically, what I love about this is Paul's whole point here is that if we think we can be made righteous by adding works of the law to our faith, we have missed the entire point of the law. I mean, these false teachers have missed the entire purpose and point of the law. It's not a means of salvation. It's to show us how much we need Jesus. I want to close this morning by reading an extended quote from really one of my favorite authors of all time, John Stott. And Again, this has been a heavy morning. It's going to get a little bit heavier here, but I think if you can just listen to these words, you will appreciate even more this section that we just waded through. After God gave the promise to Abraham, he gave the law to Moses. Why? He had to make things worse before he could make them better. The law exposed sin, provoked sin, condemned sin. The purpose of the law was to lift the lid off man's respectability and disclose what he is really underneath. Sinful, rebellious, guilty, under the judgment of God, and helpless to save himself. One of the great faults of the contemporary church is the tendency to soft-pedal sin and judgment. We must never bypass the law and come straight to the gospel. To do so is to contradict the plan of God in biblical history. No man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed him to himself. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. And it is only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free. 
not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. In 22, in the most stunning verses in all Scripture, Paul has shown us, listen, the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is telling the story of God's amazing grace, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith in Christ. As such, we have learned the law cannot justify us. Galatians 2.16, neither can it give us righteousness. Galatians 2.21, the law cannot give us the gift of the Spirit. Galatians 3.2, cannot make us children of Abraham. Galatians 3.18, the law cannot give life. Galatians 3.21, and the law certainly cannot give us freedom. Galatians 3.22, why, why then do we go back to the law? Great question. A great question. As we close, here's the question I want to leave us with. Am I living my whole life? And by whole, what I'm talking about is that whole thing. Not just my justification, but I'm, am I living my whole life? Am I living my whole life by faith or by adding to my salvation? Or am I still doing this? Your answer to that question is going to determine whether you live in freedom or in bondage. We're going to get much more deeply into this in the next coming weeks. I hope that you can join us as we continue this series. Let's pray. Lord, there's nothing other to anything we could say other than thank you. I believe with my whole heart in a room this size, there are many people who are sitting here today who were justified by faith and yet they've been living in bondage since then. They're just not experiencing the freedom they thought they would have in you. Help them to realize that salvation wasn't just a one-time event. It's a process that you are involved in every moment of every day. That's what grace is. And Lord, help each of us to remember it's about trusting you. It's about letting you fly the plane in our lives. Yes, we'll have responses to that. But the motivation of those responses is now coming from a completely different place. It's out of gratitude and thanksgiving for who you are. Not because we're trying to prove ourselves to you or make ourselves more acceptable to you. If you need to set somebody free from that this morning, we give you complete reign. We give you complete freedom to work in this room. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus redeeming us from the curse of the law. It's in his great name we all agreed and said. I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to make their way down forward now. As we do every week, we gather down at the foot of the stairs here. If you need prayer for any reason, perhaps today is the first day you've really understood You've really understood that salvation, my whole salvation is by grace through faith alone. We would love to come alongside of you and pray with you in that. For the rest of you, live in freedom this week, amen? Live in freedom. God bless you. You're dismissed.